Welcome to Perspectives in Sickle Cell Disease, a podcast that brings together people living with sickle cell disease and sickle cell trait, with specialist haematologists to exchange experiences and bring clinical guidelines to life. In this first conversation, consultant haematologist Dr. Joe Howard is joined by two people affected by sickle cell to talk about the impact on their lives and what people should know about the condition. Hello and welcome to this podcast. I'm Jo Howard. I'm a consultant haematologist working in sickle cell disease and I've got uh, two people with me today. I've got Mandy who's a person with sickle trait. Hi Mandy. Hi. And I've got Janine who's a a person with sickle cell disease. Hi Janine. Hello. And thanks very much for for joining us today. So I'm going to give a brief introduction to what sickle cell disease is and then I'm going to ask both Mandy and Janine about their lived experience of sickle trait and sickle cell disease. So what is sickle cell disease? Well, it's an inherited disorder, so that means it's something that you're born with, um, and you can either have one gene, which makes you a sickle trait, or you can have both genes having sickle, and that means you have sickle cell disease. And if you have the disease, it means you have an anemia, a low blood count, which you have all your life, and you're, it, it's a problem with the haemoglobin, that's the red cells, and what happens is those red cells are fragile, and rather than being a really kind of nice round shape that can squeeze through the blood vessels, they become stiff and rigid, and they get stuck in the blood vessels. They break down, that causes the anemia, but it also blocks the blood vessels, and that causes intermittent severe pain, and also lots of other complications. So complications all over the body, causing kidney, heart, stroke, and other problems. So it's a really severe disease, but it's also very, very variable. And that's one of the most interesting things about it, that although it's the same gene, it's a very, very different condition in all the the different patients that we see. So usually, uh, certainly in the UK, people are diagnosed at birth. They get um, a a hill prick test and we can tell if they have sickle cell disease. And then they're enrolled into paediatric care from before three months of age and they're started on antibiotics. That's really important because it stops them getting serious infections. Then they start um, having scans of the the blood vessels to the brain from the age of 2 to 16. And again, that's a really important screening um, method for stopping people getting strokes. Um, And if they are at high risk of stroke, then they start on blood transfusion. We do have some treatments. We have a treatment called hydroxyurea or hydroxycarbamide. That's a tablet that you have every single day, and that reduces your risk of problems and reduces your amount of pain. Many of our patients are on long-term blood transfusion. Um, And they're very excitingly, we've just announced some some new treatments available. They've just been funded by the NHS in the last week or so. So there are some new treatments coming online as well to try and treat pain. The other thing that happens is is once you're enrolled into care, it's really important that our patients are seen regularly by medical teams. They'll be seen by a sickle team at least twice a year throughout their life. You start with your children's doctors, your paediatric team, then there's transition to the adult team and then you continue coming to adult clinic at least twice a year where they can screen you for the complications of sickle cell disease. But let's move on to actually find out how sickle cell um, causes problems and what kind of uh, issues people with with sickle and sickle trait have. So I'm going to start with Mandy. Uh, Could you just tell us a little little bit about yourself and your family first of all? Sure, thanks Jo. So I'm 46 years old, I'm married, Um, I have four sisters and one brother. Um, my mum is still alive at 86 years old and I, my father died when I was eight years old. I, um, 
I don't have children. Um, and that was a conscious choice that both my husband and I made when we found out I was diagnosed with sickle cell trait. And, and, and when did you hear, oh, when did you find out that you had sickle cell trait? When I was 25 years old, actually. So a lot later on in life. And the only reason why I went to get tested was because all my sisters had been tested because we were all at that age of yeah. thinking about having families. And it just, I went in thinking, oh, they've all come out fine, negative. I'm not going to have it either. I went in, um, came back out, got the results a couple of weeks later and got told I was a carrier. And that quite shocked me because my husband's also a carrier. Goodness, and, and he knew that he was a carrier. He's known from birth, yeah. so yeah. yeah. And will one of your parents have sickle cell disease or sickle trait? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And did you see a doctor about that? Did you get some advice? Because there are things that we can, like pre-implantation, did you have that available then or not really? Didn't have it available then. I um, basically got told, oh, well, now you can't have children. Oh, um, and then it was a lot of back and forth about maybe, you know, you get your friends telling you to go and get retested because people sometimes make mistakes. So I went back and got retested and my doctor just, then my doctor turned around and said, well, you could just try and see what happens. But there was no other advice given to me at all. And that was obviously a while ago yeah. now. Um, yeah. Because now I, I would hope, and, and I know that the awareness of these kind of things is really low in the community, is that we do have things like pre-implantation genetic yeah. diagnosis, and we have... Several of our, our, our patients have, have done that now, um, so that, you know, the kind of test tube babies, yeah, basically, exactly. divine embryo. I'm not actually sure 20 years ago how, how available that was, but certainly nowadays that, that is. Oh, yeah, um, definitely nowadays. I have done the research yeah. and I've had friends come to me and say, oh, look, Randy, you can do yes. it this way, but obviously it's a lot later on in my life and yes. that's just not fair. But I know at the time, I just didn't find the doctors very helpful at all. And I guess you couldn't find the information out there. There wasn't much out there at all. That was a real worry then. I used to think to myself, there's not a lot out there. There's not a lot of awareness around sickle cell trait. And saying that, though, last year, what, 2020, I'd gone to do my normal health check at the doctors. I then got called back and said there was something wrong with my blood. I was worried. I was in in work at the time, so I went to the doctors. And then she checked and then she noticed and said, oh, you have sickle cell trait. That's why the results are slightly abnormal. I'm sorry for bringing you in. That should have been flagged. I'll put that on your um, records now. And that's like in all those years? Yeah. Gosh, that's um, yeah, terrible. And, and, and how does sickle trait affect your daily life, do you think? On a daily basis, I don't think it affects me in terms of health-wise or anything like that. I'm very active. Um, I wouldn't say I have any issues. What it does affect is people generally say to me, myself and my husband, why haven't you got kids? So then you feel like you have to constantly explain why you haven't got children. And actually, it gets to a stage where I feel like saying to them, well, I can't have kids, because that would just stop the conversation then. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And what do you think doctors need to be uh, need to, have to better understand sickle trait and sickle disease? I think they, they just need to have a bit more awareness and compassion around it, because, okay, yes, 20 years ago, it was very, very different, but they need to be armed with that information so they can say to people when they're there, you're a carrier, but that doesn't mean you cannot have children. You can have children by doing X, Y, Z. Is this something you want to consider? And put us in the right direction, point us somewhere, so that people are more aware of it. No, I agree. People just need the information, yeah. and they can make their own decisions. And if you don't have the um, information, then you're, you're really stuck, aren't you? Yeah, and just explain what it means, you know, what sort of things it means, instead of saying, oh, I can go out, just have a child and see what happens. That's not the right answer. 
Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. And and, and just to say that, that sickle cell disease, of course, is most prevalent in kind of Western Sub-Saharan Africa, but there's also a lot of um, sickle in the Arab communities and in the Indian communities. And now with migration, it's something that happens all over the world. Exactly. I mean, we've got 50, uh, 15,000 affected in this country, but hundreds of thousands trade people. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a big health problem having it trade. Is. Yeah, so um, it is really important. Yeah, it's, like I said, it's only in the past few years I've actually seen a bit more awareness around sickle cell and people, you know, blood drives and all those sort of things happening. But before, it just wasn't there. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, thank you for sharing that. Um, so, Janine, I'm just going to ask you a few questions now. So I'm going to start with the same question. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah, um, so I'm Janine, I have sickle cell disease, SS, and um, I'm 25, actually, Joe is my doctor. Um, I was diagnosed with sickle cell before I was born, and I have one sister and three brothers. My sister is sickle trait, and my brothers are fine, and um, I'm the last one. I got full sickle cell. And I was going to ask you about the, the journey that led you to your diagnosis, but it sounds like you've known about it all, all your life, really. Uh, well, yeah, my parents were told before I was born because they both got tested while I while my mom was pregnant. So they got they they knew before I was born and they actually this was, you know, 1996. And so this is after the. Um, hydroxyurea trials and everything but at that time they still got told by the doctor that are you sure you don't want to just abort this pregnancy because you probably won't live past 10 and I'm 25 now so you know they were wrong but they were given poor poor advice and almost no advice around the time my mum was pregnant so she had to do a lot of research herself a lot of calling um, hematologists from different countries researching medications to make sure that I got the right care when I was born. And, and just tell, uh, tell us what symptoms of sickle cell disease that you experience kind of day to day. I experience extreme tiredness, um, bouts of pain, um, you know, some complications like migraines, um, but the most um, prevalent one is 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 tired and is is pain. Um, and do you want to tell us a bit about how sickle affects your daily life and about some of the treatments that you've had, perhaps as well? Yeah, um, it affects my daily life. You know, it does make me very tired, but also because I have pain um, from you know years and years of having crises. Um, I've kind of gotten this chronic pain from that. So now I have pain almost all the time, um, almost every day, pretty much every day. But that also kind of stops me from sleeping properly at night. So then it's kind of hard for me to sleep. So then I wake up tired still. And with the sickle cell, I'm already tired. So it's kind of a, a, a vicious cycle in that way. But I try not to let that stop me from doing what I need to do because I know that's just how my life is at the moment it's just it's going to be you know hard to sleep and I'm going to wake up in pain but I still try and you know 
work through that and do what I do what I need to do on any given day. So at the moment, I'm on hydroxyurea treatment and I'm on um, exchange blood transfusions, which is a little bit um, different, but the exchange transfusions help to keep my sickle percentage lower. And then the extra hydroxycarbamide on top of that helps to keep my fetal blood higher, which helps to um, lessen the pain of when my exchange comes around. So I have it every five weeks and coming up to my next exchange date, I used to feel a lot of pain coming up to then. And um, I used to have a lot of hospital admissions. So the addition of the hydroxycarbamide has actually stopped that recurrent admissions every time I need an EBT. So, so, I mean, you're doing amazingly well at the moment, it sounds, but in the days before you started the transfusion things, you were having a lot of hospital admissions when you kept coming in with a lot of pain. Yeah, I mean, before the exchanges, I, I was on hydroxycarbamide for a while, I was out of the exchanges, and I was not doing the best. I was in and out of hospital, having very long admissions on very high doses of pain relief, um, very often and not having a lot of time outside of the hospital to just do, do what I wanted to do. I live my life. It was just basically in hospital for a week or two. Then you have to recover from that. You, you do something you shouldn't have done or maybe you walk too far and then you're back in hospital. I mean, back then my sickle cell was very tempor <coughs> excuse me, temperamental. Like I, I could just be on a train journey for too long. I could go somewhere that's too far on the train journey is too long and I shouldn't have done it and I ended up in hospital a few days later or I didn't wear enough layers and I ended up in hospital a few days. It was very temperamental and I wasn't able to live a normal a normal life. Yeah, it just, just sounds so difficult. I, I think you've described really well to people who are listening, just what people experience when they have sickle cell disease. And, and just tell us kind of what the pain's like. Um, I think sickle cell pain is probably one of the hardest to explain pains ever because um, it's so intense when, say, for instance, I get crisis pain. That pain is so intense. It could just be in my back or in my hips, but it can be so bad that I can't move any of the rest of my body, even though it's just one part of my body that hurts. It's like someone is like punching you and stabbing you, standing on you, jumping on you, ripping your bones out. I mean, it feels excruciating, the kind of pain that sickle like makes you feel. It's, it's, it's really unexplainable. I was watching... I don't know if you've watched the baby show 24 hours in in um, the, in maternity ward. There was a sickle mother that was on it one, that one time and she was giving birth and that was her third child. And she was saying, I would do this every day, then have a crisis ever again because sickle pain is so bad. And I know everyone experiences it differently, but the majority of sickle patients and me included when you get a really bad crisis, it can really knock you. It's, it hurts when someone wants when someone tries to touch you. So when you go to A&E and they're trying to take your oxygen and do your blood pressure 
go and listen to your chest and take you for an x-ray. So like, I don't want no one to do any of that because the pain is so bad until you get help with like pain relief. And I'm, I'm lucky that I've never, I've not had uh, a crisis that bad in a few years now. So I'm really, I'm thankful for that because that's, it is really hard to recover from having pain that bad as well. Um, not just physically, but mentally. You, you've explained that, that amazingly, Janine. I think that really brought it home to everyone what the pain is like. And, 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 yeah. and, and what you said about having a baby, I think that's the first time that I can have realised just quite how awful the pain of sickle cell must be. Because for me, the most painful thing that I've ever done is had a baby. And I've had other patients say to me, goodness, having a baby was a breeze after the pain of the crisis. And I think, God, yeah. if it's worse than having a baby, it just must be the worst thing imaginable to me as well. Um, yeah. Uh, can I just ask, um, how has sickle cell disease affected your family life? Um, I would say I'm the only one in my, in my family with sickle cell. So it's affected my family, I'd say, quite a lot. Um, where I mean everyone's taken notice everyone you know we're a very close family so everyone knows I have sickle cell and they've always uh supported me but they've not fully understood which is you know it was it was left up to my my parents to make everyone around me understand sickle cell which um was quite hard for you know parents back in the early 2000s to get that kind of information and to help people understand um but I think in the end it's made my family very understanding of you know why I can't come to every family gathering or if I do I have to be able to sit down or you know I might not be able to call everyone all the time because I'm not well enough and I'm very I'm very thankful that my family has been so understanding but there's also because they don't also they don't see the whole picture of sickle they don't see me when I'm extremely bad they kind of just hear about it they they ha they have made comments of like oh why aren't you doing much in your life right now or why aren't you doing what your other cousins are doing and that's that's the kind of that's the part of sickle cell they don't understand is like how um and how I live in my life or what I can do with my life at the moment that's the part I would say people have a have a hard time understanding because someone might call me one week and I'll be like oh I'm not too well they might call me the next week and I'll be like oh, I'm not too well can't come and then following me and I'll be like oh, I'm not too well can't come and they don't really understand why sometimes it's so long or it's so bad you know they think that you kind of grow up and you get a handle of it, but sickle cell really isn't that straightforward. So I, I appreciate my family a lot. They've been and as, as understanding as they can be, but I think also there is just, there needs to be more information. There needs to be more out there for people to be able to read where I can, you know, go and direct someone and be like, hey, look at this article, read this through, or um, look at this sickle, sickle testimony and have a listen to that and maybe you can understand a bit more because a lot of people who meet sickle patients because we're so good at putting on this performance this this facade of 
looking fine, even though we might not feel fine. They might meet someone else who's sick or someone. They look exactly, they look extremely fine, and they're they're going to work and they're doing everything perfectly, like you'd expect a young adult to do. But inside, they might be really hurting and really in pain. And I'm just the kind of person that doesn't put on the facade too often with my family, so they find that a little bit confusing. And I think that also needs to be explained to not just families and friends but everyone that sickle cell isn't what it appears to be no i think you explained that that really well and i was um an in awe really of 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 you and so many of my other patients are young adults who are getting on and living their lives and doing so much yet i know that they're coming into hospital and having you know all this pain all these complications yet yet when you see them and and you chat to them in this kind of thing or in clinic they look like they're just you know a young person having a great life and to have all that stuff behind I think it is is really tough. Can, can I just ask you uh, what do you think doctors need to better understand sickle cell disease and how to manage it what would help? I think doctors um, need more patient experiences to understand them like I did patient expert teaching in, in Guy's and St. Thomas's Hospital for NHS staff and nurses came and some of the new doctors of the hematology team came and they sat in and they just listened to me and a few other patients talk about our experiences in our admissions, in our everyday life. And they got to ask questions about why some sickle patients act the way they act. And it was actually really helpful for them. And I think we need something more like that. Maybe, you know, you could get a bunch of sickle patients together and we could do a video and it could be in, you know, in your training. They they can watch this video to understand sickle cell a bit more. Because I think reading about it or learning about it in in the education isn't isn't enough to really understand sickle cell because as much as it's a physical disease, it's also a, it's also it also can be a social disease in a way. Whereas you, as I said, like you don't look how you feel, and you don't express yourself how you might feel, and there's it affects you in more way. That's just the physical, and I think that. Doctors don't really understand that because I could come into a and with and say my pain is a nine out of ten, which I have done, and I'll I'll look fine. I can look like I'm talking to you right now, and maybe just rocking a bit. But I don't I don't look like I'm in a nine out of ten pain that's because I've experienced that so much in my life that I don't really have much of a reaction to it anymore. It doesn't mean that the pain isn't there and it's not excruciating. It just I just don't have that reaction to the pain pain anymore like when I was a child and I would scream and roll around that's just not how I am and I think not only doctors but nurses ambulance crew need to understand that it's it's more than just screaming in pain yeah no I'm I'm nodding away you can't see me (laughs) but I agree with everything that you said I mean it I think the the teaching that you've done and some of our other patients is so powerful um, and I think it, it's the best way, isn't it, to teach health professionals what it, what the real experience is. Um, and, and if we had some way of mandating that for all health staff would, would be really amazing, wouldn't it? If it was compulsory, this is what you have to do, anyone who looks after people with sickle cell disease. 
Um, yeah. uh, what advice would you have to someone who's just been diagnosed with sickle cell disease? Oh, um, my advice. My advice would be sickle cell is 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 an up and down roller coaster. So you have good times, you have bad times. It's a long process. It's a long journey with a lot of hospital visits, doctor's appointments, tests. There's It's going to take up a lot of your life and also not that much of your life, which is a weird thing to say, because even though it's sickle, it touches every single part of your life. Sometimes it feels like it does keep you isolated from other things. So when I say, you know, it touches all of your life, but it keeps you back, that's something that I think Patients have to have to. I think doctors should make patients aware of that it can keep you isolated, and you, you you know you need to stay in contact with friends and family, and you need to build your support system, people you trust, people that can advocate for you when you when you're when you need help when you're in hospital in A and E, people that can help you know have your back, communicate for you, make sure you're happy with your with your sickle team, make sure you're you're opinion what you think is always heard make sure they hear it and stay strong because it's a long it's a long process it's a hard process but I think the best thing if you if 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 you could do it is to connect with someone that has sickle cell who has been under your hospital before you know you can ask um, your doctor if you have a transitioning program and sometimes in the transitioning program they kind of connect sickle patients and you can ask them questions of how the hospital works how this how their sickle team works <coughs> sorry um how their department works if there's a day unit <coughs> so yeah i'd just say hang in there make sure you have a very strong support system and make sure you have a team that you like and that respects your opinion thanks for that janine that that was really helpful really um insightful as well and then can I say uh, just lastly what strategies are most helpful in managing sickle cell disease what, what, what things have you found really useful um I I I've, I I don't know that's a very that's a very hard question I say because I think because sickle cell is always changing my my ways of dealing with pain is always changing and my my ways of distracting myself from it is always changing. But um, recently in this, like my good period anyways, um, having heat pads, that really works. Getting a TENS machine, that helps. Um, making sure I have hot water bottles, you know, make sure I have my, my medicine stocked up just in case. But like the most, the most important thing for me is to like rest. Resting is like the most important thing for pain because you could be, you know, you could have a tens machine on, but you can walk around and you can do things. But for me, what I've noticed is like sickle cell, it needs rest. You need to take time out of your day, even when you're working, like even when I was going to college, I had to take time out of my day. I had to go find a restaurant that had a comfy chair for me to rest in for my lunch because <clears throat> if I stayed in the college all day, I'd be in so much pain when I got home because the chairs are so uncomfortable. So you have to find 
places to rest, make sure like you don't overdo it. And, and it's like, it's just a learning experience because everyone is different. Everyone is different. Yeah, no, and, and that pacing yourself, kind of learning to do that is, is really important. Um, That's the hardest thing I'll say to if any sicklers listening, it's the hardest thing having to pace yourself because, or anyone listening, it's, it's so hard because I want to keep up with everyone. I want to do what you're doing. It looks like fun. But I know like if I go and do that and then I go out with you the next day and maybe a couple of days after that, I want to be so sick. Like, like I had to learn my boundaries and, and like my friends also had to learn my boundaries and my limits. Like they can't ask me out every weekend or we can't like before COVID, we can't go partying every weekend. You have to like space it out for me because otherwise I just end up sick and it wouldn't be as enjoyable if you like you go out partying and you end up sick, you know? Absolutely. Ginny, can, can I also ask you, was there advice you were given by doctors or health professionals that has turned out not to be so useful? Things that you kind of realised later weren't so great? Um, I guess the best example, yeah, that I can give is um, a mistake that the that my hematology team also realised that they was making, which was um, over overdoing it with the pain relief and having having me on very high amounts of pain relief. And I look back on that and I was thinking, you know, well, we both made a bit of a mistake because I look back on that and I think I was on these high doses of pain relief, but I was still in a lot of pain and I was still taking oxycodone every day, long like long term release. And even when I was living in the Caribbean. The only way they really had to treat sickle cell there was just with really strong painkillers, pethidine and tramadol, and they had they had nothing else to do. And so when I came back to England, my tolerance was so high up that I was on like such high levels of oxycodone, and my pain wasn't getting better. As much as I believe like the pain relief was really helping, or as much as my team believed that pain relief was helping and it got me out of hospital, but I'd also be back in the hospital. Like it, it's the, the best advice isn't always to have the most pain relief. I've realized like, it's like sometimes just taking time to clear yourself from all the painkillers that you've taken and actually fully assess what kind of pain you're in without any pain relief and knowing what to do for that pain without strong doses of opiates was the best advice that I could, that's the best thing I could do for myself. So I'd say that that the worst advice I'd gotten from like my my sickle team was to be on such high doses of painkillers. But I took the advice thinking it was helping at the time. I just look back and I know that we both made a mistake and the sickle team hold their hands up to that. And I appreciate that. And I hold my hand up to, I was on high doses of opiates and I think they appreciate me um, t- saying that with like honesty, like I was, uh, my, my doses were too high. No, absolutely. I mean, and I think you, you, you it, it's been really difficult for you, I know, and you're incredibly brave to come out and talk about it. But I think it's a thing that we don't really talk about. I mean, patients come in with terrible hemicycle and you kind of want to help. And you give patients opiates and you give them more and more opiates, the more you give, the less they work. 
And then you end up in this awful situation where patients are on massive doses of opiates with all the side effects and getting no benefit. And getting those doses down is, is really tough. And you have to be so kind of tough with yourself. It's, it's really hard, isn't it? But I mean, well done to you. I, I, I think you did an amazing job. You're, you're amazing. And for sharing all that with us, I, I, I really appreciate that. It's, it's um, really great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so let's go on to now. I'm just going to ask to finish off with what can be done to raise awareness of sickle cell disease and sickle trait. And I think it's become really clear that we absolutely need to do that. Um, Mandy, shall I start with you? Um, what do you think can help? What can we all do to raise awareness? I think more and more people need to talk about it um, because it's, it's kind of one of those things where I was actually talking to someone at the gym the other day and I said to him, oh, I want to do a charity event for sickle cell. And he said, why sickle cell? Why not oncology? Why not cancer? And I says, well, they get enough airtime. It's about sickle cell. And actually, he's a carrier himself. So I was then surprised why he then asked that question, because he says, people don't really talk about it. It's just one of those things where people assume, okay, you're born with it. That's it. You just get on with it. What does that mean? You know, it means you're going to be ill. You're going to go through, you know, Janine's story. You're going to live that. But telling those stories and being more aware of it and raising that awareness so people can understand, because... So many people will still say to me, I don't know what that means um, for you to be a carrier or for you to have the trait or the disease. I don't know what that means. There needs to be people talking about it. It needs to be on mainstream TV where people are talking about it. And it's not just on Twitter with a couple of black celebrities shouting about it. It does need to have a bit more airtime. No, I absolutely agree. Um, Janine, what do you think can be done to raise awareness? Yeah, I think what Mandy said, you know, we need to talk about it more. I mean, I meet I meet people that work in the NHS that still don't know about what sickle cell is. And they ask me, you know, why am I here or what were you doing waiting here? And I tell them very openly, I have sickle cell um, disease and I tell them what it is. I tell them it's a blood disorder. I tell them how it affects me. <clears throat> I'm very open now with the people I meet my sickle cell. Before when I was younger when I was in my teens I felt I felt a little bit ashamed of it of like um having this disease that made me miss out on so many experiences with my friends when I was you know a teenager and actually at that time is when I should have been talking the most about it because I was in hospital so much and you know I should have been saying to my friends why I was in hospital so much and I should have been explaining that to them because when I was even younger than that, like five, six. That's what my mum was doing to my friends when I was in primary school. Like we'd have like sickle days at my house. She'd invite everyone, everyone in my in my class. We'd sit down at TV, watch a video about sickle cell. My sickle cell nurse would come over and she would talk to us about sickle cell. Like she made a sickle day at our house to make sure that everyone around me knew what sickle cell was. She was so open and honest and she just wanted to raise awareness. She wanted to help people with sickle. She wanted to open a sickle cell clinic in Dominica, but unfortunately she's passed away. And I should have seen that when I was younger and kept that going. And I only just see it now. And so now in my my 20s, my, I've been very open and honest with everyone I meet. And I don't, it doesn't matter where I meet them. If they ask me a question that has something to do with my sickle cell, I'll bring it up and I'll explain it. And also explain the history, um, you know, we, when we came from Africa and why we even have sickle cell. 
and they find that so interesting and so fascinating and there, there are um, people that work at the NHS who come back to me and they learn new things about sickle cell. And I'm like, oh, so that's so cool that, you know, they they felt so, you know, intrigued by what I said that they went and they went and found out more. And I think, you know, we just have to be open and honest. People with that level of sickle cell, even with our families and friends, you know, we have to be open and honest and just tell everyone how it is. It's, it's not always going to be like a pretty conversation like we're having today. It might be, you know, um, it might be a more negative conversation about how they're dealing with their sickle, but we have to be, we have to feel like we can be honest. And it might, it might take a while, but I hope uh, that more patients come to see the fact that, you know, we have to start the conversation so the awareness can be raised so we can see things, more things like um, blood drives for sickle adverts on the TV or even, you know, speaking about sickle and black history month that like you know hopefully like we're making more moves so sickle is raised is the sickle awareness for sickle is raising and we will be able to do more on top of that hopefully no i, I think the more we talk the more it's part of, of mainstream as mandy said earlier the better do you think there's kind of a stigma about sickle? Because I often have a lot of my patients who don't haven't told work, they haven't told their friends. People often don't tell their partners till they're pretty late on in a relationship. Um, are there things that only stop you sharing it? Do you think? I I I believe that the stigma of sickle cell comes from um, the black community itself, which is unfair. But you know, when sickle cell was first around in Africa. And people would think that people with sickle cell were witches and they had to be exercised. That thought, even though it's not conscious and it's not in the forefront, is still is still somewhere inside people because they don't understand sickle. So the stigma is always going to be there <clears throat> until the information is out, until you know the education is out. I mean, sickle cell should be taught at schools properly. I was taught at school that people with sickle cell die at 15 and I was 16 in school. So, you know, the information needs to be correct and accurate. So the stigma can disappear because until that happens, I, I believe that the stigma will always be there with sickle patients and with their families. You know, I have gone through experiences where telling someone that I have sickle cell is not the best move and they turn me down because of that, if it's a job or if it's um, a project or anything. Um, but also not telling someone that I have sickle cell and then having to, I don't know, leave for a few days because I'm not well or have to go to the hospital, then that's also not a good look. So you feel like you're in a lose-lose situation. And I think jobs need to be more accepting of people with disabilities just in general. And sickle cell, you know, it, it is a disability, even though it doesn't disable everyone, it's, it's, it's still debilitating. And that still needs to be, you know, acknowledged, even in our benefit system. Sickle cell is, you know, you still have to fight to get benefits for people with sickle cell. I know I had to go through a whole load of fighting and appealing and using our social um, social support worker to help me fight to get what I was owed, which is ridiculous. So... Yeah, there is there is still a stigma, and I mean, even in even in healthcare systems, even in 
our benefit system, even in our job system and in our education systems, is still there. No, you make some really good points there. And I mean, we support a lot of patients doing doing less than things for disabilities. And it is really important for, for the benefit system because they see you on a, a good day and they go, well, you look fine, you know. What, what are you talking about? But what they don't see all the other days, and I think our benefit system isn't very good about looking after things that are variable, you know. Yeah. Just because you have good days and bad days, you have to manage all those days. Um, and if you're putting on a brave face and, you know, this is the day where I've managed to get out of my house, they shouldn't penalise you for that. And it feels like they do sometimes, doesn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> but I love, I love the idea of a sickle day and a sickle class. I think we should have sickle classes in all the school. I've not heard that before. I think that's a brilliant idea. What do you yeah. think? What do you think about stigma, Mandy? I agree. I totally agree with Janine because I know it's one of those things where it's often described as a black disease, and that's you know, like you just said earlier on, it's spreading as other people, other cultures have evolved. I happily will openly say to people I'm a carrier, um, but I guess I know some people won't do that. I've done it because of a, you know the industry I work in. There's no reason why I can't say, by the way, I'm a sick cell carrier. My husband's exactly the same. We both are open about it, but people do look at you and it's kind of like a pity thing as well. So the stigma goes there, but you then get the pity. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I don't, you know, I've never asked you for any sympathy whatsoever. And Janine's probably exactly the same. You know, you're a strong woman where you're, you're fighting this every single day, but you're not asking anyone to feel pitiful. So that's, the stigma goes the other way. So it's not just, oh, you're, you're a carrier or you've got the full blood disease. It's just, oh, pity. Oh, you're not going to live that long. Oh, you can't do all these things. Why can't you? You might do it, but just a little bit later. And I think that's the, the side of it for me from the stigma because it's, it's everything Janine has said, but also that side where you look at the pitiful side. Yeah, no, I think you explained that really well. Um, is, is there anything else that either of you can want to say to people? Anything else to bring? I think you've both been really honest and been really powerful, what both of you have said. Um, and I, I think they, they've really uh, explained so much better than we can explain as a doctor kind of what it's really like to live with sickle disease, what it's like to live with, with sickle trait, the things that you don't read in a, a book that people don't really understand. Um, Janine, is there anything else that you'd like to say? <clears throat> excuse me i'd like to say that you know as much as sickle cell is a physical disease it does affect patients you know mentally and that's something that we have to deal with and i think um because it's you know it's no longer just a black disease but because it was grounded in that community and that culture we're not very open about talking about sharing our feelings um and asking for help and I think you know as much as we get help with our physical you need to like remember there's also your mental side there that it also needs it also needs care and support especially you know dealing with um, sickle cell trait or sickle cell disease is some it's a new component to deal with in your life and I feel if you feel like you need to talk to someone don't feel any way about it go and talk to someone call someone up ask your doctor if you can if they can refer you to a psychologist or a counsellor, because it's just as important to take care of your mental health with sickle. Yeah, no, I agree. And one of the things that we've tried to do is to make sure that every patient with sickle cell disease in England has got access to a psychologist, 
Um, and I know there's an awful lot of um, inequity about psychology provision around the country. Um, and, and you found the psychologists helpful um, in the past. Mandy, got anything else you'd like to say? No, I think I'm going to leave it with Janine because that's really powerful. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for joining us on that podcast. I hope you've learned something about sickle cell disease. If you want more information, then you can go and look on the Sickle Cell Society website. Uh, There's lots more information out there. And I'd just like to say a really, really big thank you to both Mandy and to Janine for sharing your life experience with us. Um, I thought it was really feel pretty humbling really listening to you both uh, you're both amazing thank you very very much thank you thank you for listening to this podcast in the next episode a mother and daughter will join professor leon chilolo to talk about the experience of caring for a person with sickle cell disease and the barriers to treatment found in different countries the perspectives in sickle cell disease podcast is a collaboration between Obsidian Healthcare Group, a global provider of medical education, and the European Haematology Association. If you are a healthcare professional looking for more education on sickle cell disease, visit the EHA campus at ehaweb.org forward slash education.